Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance. My guest today is Stefan Bosshart, product head, fixed income at Six Digital Exchange. Our subject, the first digital bond listed and traded and held on SDX, but also listed and traded and held by Six. What it means in its own terms and what it means for the future of digital assets as a whole. Stefan, hello, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dominic. Perhaps I could start at the very beginning and ask you which part of the six group is the issuer of this bond? Um, the issuer is actually six group itself. So it's uh, the treasury of our group. Um, and that's for various financing reasons uh, we have within the group. As you know, uh, six group uh, acquired the Spanish stock exchange um, last year. Um, and there are various financing reasons. So it was the group itself, the Treasury Department. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that the uh, the six group Treasury Department was pleased to, to make use of uh, one of the investments that the group has made. But apart from, from supporting its own uh, innovative exchange, what uh, what benefits did, did the six group derive as an issuer from, from tokenizing uh, a bond issue? And I'm asking this because I wonder what other benefits or what benefits other issuers could derive from doing the same thing? Um, If you look at the issuance and especially how it impacted the issuer, um, there are not a lot of benefits compared to today's or traditional assets. But then again, there are not uh, any downsides either the way we structured it. Um, What basically gave the reason or what what, uh, was the motivation for the issuer and other issuers, which we're talking to at the moment, to to consider a digital issuance is the potential of the technology. Not everything is yet there. Um, It will come over the next years, but we, of course, um, are looking to more efficient um, issuances, more efficient asset servicing. Um, That's more contract, which uh, will play a big role in the future. We can think of automating uh, the whole prospectus uh, ultimately a couple of years down the road obviously but the more we can include more and more parts of a prospectus which is today a heavy physical legal document into code into the asset and therefore making the whole um, financial market more efficient and therefore lowering funding costs also for issuers in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're looking to, to digitize even the documentation of the issue itself. Uh, that's possibility. Absolutely. Yes. Oh. Now, the, the bond had a, had a very interesting structure. It's divided, as, as I said in my opening remarks, into these two parts. You've got one part, which is um, uh, issued, traded, held um, by SDX Trading in the six digital exchange, so a separate CSD. And then the other part is held in the six, the traditional exchange, if you like, the, the six Swiss exchange and in the six SIS um, CSD. What was the reason for breaking the issue into those two parts? Very good question. Thanks, Dominic. Um, it's, we introduced something new. We introduced digital assets. We introduced a new regulated central securities depository and a new regulated exchange. Regulated means investors are fine with it, generally speaking. But still, it is something new, and not all the investors will be Um, happy or comfortable with it with the first issuance and we wanted to give the investors which are not yet ready still the opportunity to invest into a bond issued by six we don't want to exclude them Um, that's helping the investors we include traditional and digital investors but that's also helping 
the, um, the issuer because through that we are eliminating the placement risk. You still have the whole universe of investors, eligible investors out there, and therefore it doesn't negatively impact the funding costs either because if you still have the same amount of investors, you still have the same demand and therefore you don't have to pay a higher coupon or a higher yield um, to uh, investors. So that's what that's in summary, lowering the hurdles for investors, that actually lowering the risk for the issuer and the bold banks. Mm-hmm. So I can see why having the dual structure enables you to appeal to both the more traditionally minded investors and, of course, the ones who are comfortable buying assets in, in digital form. But does it create uh, problems as well? I'm thinking here particularly if you've got a bond divided into these two parts and held in two separate CSDs, how can the issuer people most interested in, in, in knowing who owns the bonds, how can you maintain a single register of investors across two CSDs? Uh, you, you're right. I mean, we didn't call it a problem. We called it a challenge, um, but it was for sure a challenge, right? We had to figure out how we how we define this in the prospectus and what, where, what the tasks of the issuer will be. So in the end, two parts of the bond, they are two uh, technically and legally separate bonds. They're summarized on the one prospectus, they have the same risk, it's basically economically the same thing, but still two separate bonds with two separate ISINs, which means we also have two separate registries, the two main registries at two central securities depository. Um, But we have an exchangeability feature in place, which means you can transfer from one to the other, and we have a uh, conversion agent role with one of the banks who are involved in the issuance to make sure that always an investor is able to switch from one to the other. So that's basically, uh, we were looking at the uh, 144A and Regulation S securities who have a similar structure in place. So investors can switch between the, the digital and the traditional form of the bonds. They can switch from, if you like, from, from physical to digital and back again. Uh, you're not the issues aren't the, the, the digital and the and the traditional portions of the bond aren't fixed in size you can you can move between them and is there an expectation that people will well a hope on your part that that people will investors will gradually switch into the digital version absolutely i mean we were very positively surprised that the um the digital part of it was actually twice as big as the traditional one so there was 100 million swiss francs in the digital part and 50 million in the traditional one. We expected it to, to be the other way around, to be honest. And we also expected that the, the investors who invested into the traditional part will slowly move over to the digital one as digital assets um, become more and more um, state of the art. Uh, we already had a big um, uh, part of the issuance in the digital part, which is great. Um, we saw, and that was also expected, uh, first conversions from the digital to the traditional one. Um, there are always investors who decide, um, well, who actually plan to have a buy and hold strategy, but then decide to sell it earlier. Um, and for them, it was uh, easier to actually sell the traditional part as long as the traditional market is still more liquid. But we expect that now, uh, over the next years, um, the digital part uh, will grow and the traditional part will, uh, will become smaller. Absolutely. So if I've understood you correctly, the, the division of the issue between the digital and the, and the orthodox versions was entirely driven by the investors themselves. They made the choice when, when they subscribed. Now, uh, am I correct at that, um, Stefan? Is that yes? Yeah, absolutely. The, um, uh, there was basically, it was communicated in the same way as a dual 
uh, tranche bond, for example, a, a five-year and a ten-year of the same issuer in parallel or communicated. So you give the investors the the, the choice um, if they want digital or if they want traditional or if they want a bit of both of them, uh, and they can decide where they want to invest. Um, obviously, it's up to the issuer in the end to to do the final allocation. But as an investor, you you have the choice, and you it's up to you to decide which one uh, you want to buy. The risk is the same, um, uh, the issuer is the same, the rating is the same. Uh, it's just purely the digital or the traditional format which differentiates. Were you able to reach new types of investors by offering a, a, a digital version of the bond, or are all the people on the two, the twin registers, as it were, very familiar to you? Um, that, that is something I do not have all the details on. Um, as SDX, we are the infrastructure. Obviously, the issuer is part of our group, but um, I do not have all the details as a treasury department has. So I don't know um, if there were any new uh, investors in, um, but from what I heard, um, they were mainly the institutional investors that, uh, that are used to buy such assets in the traditional format that now decided to go digital. Um, and most of them, as we hear, are still happy with it. Now, bonds are never that liquid, but has making it available in two forms affected the liquidity of the issue adversely or positively? Um, I would say in, in the issuance itself, um, it didn't really make a difference. I mean, you have the same investors. Some of them go digital, some of them stay traditional. So the liquidity initially, um, that there was no difference. But obviously, fragmentation is always bad for liquidity, and that's not different here. Uh, so we have two markets. So we, you could have summarized um, the issuance under one ISIN and listed on one exchange, and probably you would have had the better liquidity there. Now we have two different bonds on two different markets, which means the liquidity on each of those markets is probably a bit lower. Um, it obviously helps that there is an exchangeability feature. So that means that the two prices are in line and the liquidity, if, there's, if it's not there on one side, it's there on the other side. Uh, but still, we, we see that it's better for the market to come to one ISIN, and that's actually what we're working on together with the banks, together with, uh, with the market participants, to allow one ISIN issuances eligible for both markets. And are you looking to members of the exchanges to stimulate liquidity in the issue, by which I mean market makers, lead brokers, firms who agree to make prices or stand in when nobody else is a buyer or a seller? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we're, we are a stock exchange, we're a regulated stock exchange, so um, we are very happy to have liquidity providers on, on our platform. Uh, we currently have three banks uh, onboarded. Those are major Swiss banks. There are also the banks which were involved in the first issuance, and all of them are providing prices uh, from their trading desk. So we see liquidity, we see prices, we see quotes, we see volume on our market, and uh, that's great because that's what exchanges are there for. Mm -hmm. Just before I leave the subject of the of the types of investors you attracted, was it entirely institutional? Or did you pick up interest from some retail investors as well? Um, I can I unfortunately do not have all the details. Um, I'm not allowed to have all the details given I'm not in the treasury mm -hmm. department. Um, what I can say is typically such uh, issuances or mostly with institutional investors. Uh, but retail investors are not excluded. So every retail investor is 
can place an order with their desk at the house bank. The house bank, usually in Switzerland, collects the orders and then is also part of the uh, of the allocation process. So um, I'm pretty sure there were retail uh, investors investing into that issuance, also in the digital one, but I can't confirm. Mm-hmm. Now, if I was an institutional investor holding, say, the, the digital version of the bond, could could I lend that into the market for somebody to use as, say, collateral in the Swiss franc uh, repo market? Uh, unfortunately not, no, but that's um, that's due to the requirement of the national bank in Switzerland, um, not due to the digital format of the fixed bond. So both parts um, of the bond, which has been issued, the traditional and the digital one, uh, are not eligible for the uh, uh, repo basket of the, uh, of the Swiss national bank. But, but that's would... due to other criteria. Okay, but, but if it was a straightforward stock borrowing, there's no, the digital and or traditional version doesn't stand in the way of that of that security being lent, right? That's that's what uh, my understanding is. But in the end, that's the national bank deciding. Uh, I was I wasn't thinking so much of the national bank, just of, <laughs> just of a, a commercial bank that might want to borrow the bond to collateralize some uh, credit they've obtained. They can use these without operational difficulty, whether it's digital or. Uh, I mean, the, the bond in the end is a bond. It's existing on the distributed ledger technology, the digital part of it, and so therefore it's not different to a traditional bond. Uh-huh. Um, where we have a slight difference is that uh, on the stock exchange, the, the new regulated digital stock exchange, uh, we trade with atomic swap, uh, which means as soon as you trade, you also settle. Um, and therefore it is not possible to actually borrow or lend between trade date and settlement date as you, date, as you do today. Um, so whatever you trade on the exchange, you have to have before you trade. So there's no borrowing or lending involved there. But apart from that, if you're trading OTC, um, if you find borrowing or lending opportunities, there's nothing which would speak against it. And, and talking of trading, how does that work? I, I assume that the Swiss exchange isn't open round the clock, but, but STX is open round the clock. So have you got the digital bonds trading 24-7 and the traditional bonds just trading in a normal trading day? Uh, no, we, we are not open 24-7, no. That's, um, uh, we, have, we try to be as efficient as possible, so we don't want our operation staff to work 24-7. Um, that would not be fair. Uh, no, we, we also have uh, opening hours as a regulated stock exchange during working hours Monday to Friday. So um, that, that didn't change. Obviously, if you want to trade the bond OTC, um, but that's the same for traditional assets, you're free to do so whenever you want. Um, if you want to do it on the exchange, it's during business hours, same as for, for the settlement of the transaction. I noticed the, the issue was actually oversubscribed when it, when it was launched. Was there a kind of excitement around the fact that this was a, a first and the bonds were being available in digital as well as as well as conventional form. And as you said, uh, the to your surprise, the the digital bond proved more popular than the than the conventional. So, did that oversubscription reflect something of the novelty value here, or were other considerations like the coupon more important? Um, I, there, there was for sure an excitement about it, and um, there was also uh, a lot of questions, and and it raised more interest for investors to know more. So that, I'm pretty sure that also helped um, placing the security because of the novelty, because everyone knew about it. Um, but in the end, I think it was more important for the investors that actually the, the, the risk uh, of the bond is acceptable, that the yield is acceptable, the pricing is fine. I think that's probably what drove the demand more mm-hmm. than just the fact that it's digital. Mm-hmm. 
but it helped. I'm pretty sure it helped. And was there interest from abroad, or were the the investors all domestic, Swiss domestic investors? Um, there were Swiss domestic because um, there are sales restrictions on the bond itself, um, which exclude, for example, U.S. American investors. So, um, again, I do not see the real distribution or the real allocation, but it should be um, primarily, if not fully, Swiss domestic investment. Can I ask you a technical question? You've, you've touched on settlement already, but how is settlement going to work uh, in the case of the digital bonds? You can't at this time have Swiss francs on, on, a, on a ledger. In other words, the, the settlement of, of, of the transactions must take place with some kind of, of, of payment token or or stable gun. How do you get cash onto the ledger to settle these transactions in digital bonds? Well, very good question. Very good question. And that's something we, we thought about uh, long and hard. Um, because within the SDX ecosystem, we only work with tokenized assets and only work with tokenized cash. So we can't work with fiat Swiss francs. So all the participants of the ecosystem, which means us as SDX, as the infrastructure provider, and our clients who have a node in our ecosystem, in our network, um, we have to work with tokenized Swiss francs. That means that the banks send fiat Swiss francs to SDX, to the account we have uh, at the Swiss National Bank, and we then make sure that we issue tokenized Swiss franc for exactly the same amount. So it is comparable to a stable coin, but it's always 100% 100% backed by fiat money, which is uh, on our account at the National Bank. So it's not central bank digital currency, not yet, I want to say, but it's not for us to, to bring central bank digital currency. It is a form of a, of a stable coin of a digitized Swiss franc. Well, I'll ask you about the about central bank digital currency in a, in, in a second, but just to be clear on this point, the traditional bonds can settle in central bank money, but the digital bonds can't at this point. Exactly. In, yeah, okay. Exactly. The, the traditional bond settles with um, fiat normal Swiss francs. The digital one settles in tokenized Swiss francs, but then again, it's only within our ecosystem. So the issuer in the end will receive mm-hmm. fiat Swiss francs. They will not receive digitized or tokenized Swiss francs. Same for the investors because they're not direct participants of SDX. They will also pay fiat Swiss francs to their banks. The banks then make sure that within our ecosystem, tokenized Swiss francs are exchanged and then the money leaves the um, SDX system again and then the issuer will receive real Swiss francs, so to say. Now, you, you touched a moment ago on central bank digital currencies, CBDCs. SDX has been involved in in, in two uh, settlement projects using CBDCs. There's the domestic one with the Swiss National Bank, Project Jura, I think it was called. And then there's a cross-border one, again, with the Swiss National Bank, but also involving the, the French Central Bank this time. As you look forward uh, to a time when central bank money is available on ledger, as it were, how do you expect the, what you've learned from those two projects to be applied to making the settlement process more efficient, both domestically and across the Swiss border? Um, Those projects were very important um, to us, for sure, and I assume also for all the other um, parties which were involved, especially the national banks. Um, That is the proof that technically everything is working already. So we did those transactions on our test system, which means with the technology we have, and it worked. So 
it it is really a question of um, is that enough reason for the national banks to decide to go towards wholesale um, central bank digital currency. Uh, technically, there should be nothing speaking against it, but of course, there are other reasons, um, and only the national banks themselves can judge when the right time will be to introduce central bank digital currency. Um, of course, for digital assets and especially for STX, that will be a game changer in a positive way, um, as the banks will then uh, be able to actually use tokenized cash directly with the national bank and not having a counterparty risk with six. Some of the banks are, are happy, it's a good workaround, it works well, it works today already, but that would improve the situation, absolutely. Now you mentioned earlier that um, you were looking forward to a time when you could start to digitize the, the issuance process itself in terms of how the documentation is prepared and how it's distributed to to underwriters and uh, and investors, if I I'm not sure how coherent this question is, given the bond is available in in, in both forms, but um, because you can digitize parts of the traditional bond processes as well, of course, as well as the, the digital bond. But if I said to you, if you look across the whole bond life cycle, the issuance, the listing, the trading, uh, in time, the servicing, the paying of the coupons on the on the bonds and so on, um, how how is that? Uh, how much of that is it has been or will be digitized? Uh, very good question. Um, because there, there are several approaches on how to leverage uh, DLT or blockchain um, when it comes to the whole life cycle of, of assets, especially, especially bonds. Um, what we did is we digitized the bond itself. Um, and therefore, the processes around it are impacted or, or it facilitates also than digitizing those processes. Um, with digitizing the bond itself means we are already allowed in Switzerland to work with dematerialized uh, securities. Um, and therefore, we can include those dematerialized securities into our ecosystem. And they are actually created on the network. They're created on the distributed ledger technology, um, which is our main registry. That's compared to traditional central securities depositories where it's really a central system where those securities are created and then also serviced. Um, and that means that every interaction with the bond, be it a trade, be it a, um, a coupon payment, be it a redemption, they're always interacting with the distributed ledger technology. And that means that those processes can be improved. Um, some of them will be improved in the future. Some of them we already improved, which is the um, the, the, the trading, for example, where the trading engine, the exchange, interacts with the distributed ledger technology. Today, they're mostly separated. You trade, and then you have two days to settle, and that's settled somewhere else. Now, if you trade on the stock exchange on SDX, the stock exchange starts discussing, starts speaking to the central securities depository, to the distributed ledger technology, to make sure that the assets and the cash are there, exchanges automatically and settles it automatically. So that's that's one part where we see that because of the reason that the, the asset itself is digitized, that the processes around it can be digitized easier as well. Hmm. Now, just on the narrow question of the servicing, the, 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 which means in this case, basically the paying of the coupons and eventually I suppose the, the paying of the redemption, um, 
proceeds. If if you've got the bond available in digital form, in theory, you could just have a smart contract written into that into that bond, which would pay the coupons automatically, presumably through the banking system. Then you've got the traditional form available where presumably you'd have to have a paying agent who would look at the register and see who owns what, and then calculate the right amount to send them and send them a, a payment again through the, through the through the banking system. In other words, is that is that asset servicing, that payment of coupons complicated by the fact the bond is available in two forms? Um, it, it is, I would say, for the um, for the paying agent, um, which is chosen to be the same one for both parts. Mm-hmm. It is a bit more complicated. Um, you're not, you're not using smart contracts then? We're, we're not yet using smart contracts, yes. Mm-hmm. Right. We automated the process, uh, but we still need the paying agent. Um, we still need the issuer to actually tell us who the paying agent is and therefore who is allowed to do payments on that bond in our ecosystem. And that's comparable to how it works in the traditional world. Obviously, we give tools and we try to automate wherever possible that the paying agent doesn't have to do as many things manually. And ultimately, we can think of the paying agent just defining everything um, in the prospectus and then it will be done automatically. that's what we're working on. That's where the technology helps us uh, to get there. But today it is comparable. You have the paying agent um, collecting the payments, collecting the money for the coupon payments at the issuer, and then feeding it into both central securities depository, um, depending on how the distribution is between uh, the digital and traditional part. And then from there on, it's uh, it's trickled down to the end investor. So on. it doesn't matter which part you own, be the traditional or digital one, you get your uh, coupon payment in Swiss francs, um, but it will be split at the source uh, depending on how big the digital and traditional parts are. Mm-hmm. Would you expect to be using smart contracts in the future? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, so far we're running a new technology, but the processes are comparable and that's also wish to be this way because we, we need to start where the industry is today. We need to start with the interfaces that are there today. We need to start with the processes that are there today because we want to take the whole market with us on that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, if we would come directly with more contracts, we'd probably lose the clients before they even connect to us. Um, and that's why we chose it this way. But absolutely, um, smart contracts is the way to go. Uh, and we will define together with the market, together with our clients, where we shall apply them first and in which priority will then uh, automate the other uh, interactions clients have with us. Okay. As you say, you had to, to bring the market with you. The issuer chose the paying agent. You had to bring the paying agent with you. But you also had to bring with you the, the investment banks, which uh, which the group as, as issuer wanted to work with. You worked, I understand, on this issue with uh, with Credit Suisse, with Zurich Cantonal Bank and, and with UBS. Um, bringing them along, uh, what was different about what they had to do? Or was it a very familiar process to them? Um, the process itself was uh, was very familiar, but uh, we needed to onboard them uh, first into uh, onto SDX. So uh, they needed to become a member of a new stock exchange, a member of a new central securities depository, and also get familiar with uh, with some of the slight differences we had. I mean, we we tried to be as similar as possible to the traditional world, not to actually cost too um, much efforts on their side. But there are some specialties because we had we are on new technology, um, and thankfully uh, the banks adapted to them, and they also thought it's a good way forward. 
so it took them um, some time to actually get familiar with with our system. What we in fact needed is at least one of them um, to be part of the STX ecosystem uh, to be in the role of an issuer agent and also the paying agent. So the issuer itself is not part of our ecosystem. We need the bank to actually bring that asset into the STX ecosystem to issue it on the distributed ledger technology and then distribute it to the other members of the ecosystem. Um, and that's what one of the three banks did. All the other, so all of the three banks are onboarded. All of them are active uh, on the stock exchange and therefore all of them are also active in tokenizing and de-tokenizing Swiss francs to be able to make sure that the trades actually settle uh, on our market. Now you will of course have to bring parts of your own organization uh, along with you uh, because you've, you've got um, a separate exchange and separate CSD. And I was wondering if Finma's given this license to, to STX to operate an exchange and to operate as a CSD. Now, how different are those licenses from the ones which, um, which, which six Swiss exchange uh, and six SIS um, already held? I mean, and I'm asking this question mainly because I'm, I'm wondering how important regulatory certainty or uncertainty was both to the group as an issuer, but also more importantly, perhaps to the to the investors um, in both the digital and the traditional form of the bonds? So that's, again, a very good question, very important one as well, um, because that was actually the first discussion we had at STX to decide if we shall go to the, the regulated way or not. Um, in the end, it's the same quality. Um, so the licenses are exactly the same. It's a stock exchange license, where there are only three of them uh, currently in Switzerland, and it's a central securities depository license where only two of them. Um, and the other one is with our mother house, as you rightfully said, with, uh, with 6SIS. Um, so also for FINMA, um, they don't issue such licenses on a yearly basis. They do it every couple of decades. So it was important to go on the journey also with FINMA to find out what changes because we have a different technology. But in the end, we have the same requirements when it comes to stability, when it comes to reliability. It's the same quality of license, so we also have the same requirements. That is very important because um, that regulatory wrapper around SDX um, actually makes us a trustworthy infrastructure. And because we are a trustworthy infrastructure, because we are regulated, that means that investors, due to their investment guidelines, are allowed to invest in assets that are on our infrastructure, which then makes digital assets uh, for the first time mainstream. Uh, we saw a lot of very good projects. We saw a lot of um, digital bonds being issued in the market, but they were also, unfortunately, all very fragmented pilot projects. We're usually not mainstream. We're usually institutional investors weren't allowed to invest into those bonds. Now with that regulatory wrapper, we make it mainstream. And so there's actually, apart from that, it's something new. Um, there's nothing that speaks against investing into digital assets coming over SDX. So anyone, and this thing's absolutely clear on this point, that the status of tokens or tokenized assets under Swiss law as opposed to judgments by the regulators. Is, is it absolutely clear now? Is Swiss law clear about the treatment and status of, of tokens and tokenized assets? Um, the, the way we are working with, uh, absolutely. Uh, the tokens on SDX 
uh, or dematerialized and, and intermediated securities. And that's covered by the Swiss law. That was already covered because the DLT law, uh, before the DLT law came into, uh, into effect. So um, for us, um, we have asset tokens and the asset tokens are dematerialized intermediate securities and that's nothing new for the investors and therefore uh, the, the legal status, that's all clear um, when it comes to asset. Now, can I just ask about your the technology choice you made? You worked with R3, who are uh, uh, the leading provider, I suppose, of, of enterprise blockchain or of these private permissioned um, networks. Um, is that what explains your choice of R3, that, that private permission network? Um, obviously, the group works with lots of different uh, technology vendors. But what was attractive to you about working with R3, with Corda? Absolutely, you're one hundred percent right, Dominic. That that was the um, the basis for our, the first decision. Uh, SDX did was where shall we go? And if you go the regulated path, you're very likely to um, to actually have a permission network running, uh, because that's the way you can control it, and that's also very similar um, to the way uh, clients are used to work with central securities depositories, and there's also the, uh, the ecologic um, sustainable aspect to it, because in a sustainable network due to the consensus mechanism, it's not as, uh, as energy uh, intensive as an open network would be. So there are different reasons out there why we chose to go to a permission network and R3 has proven that they are fit for institutional use. So that those were exactly the right reasons why we uh, decided to go for R3. I've got some forward-looking um, thoughts, but this is obviously the first of a number of, of issues which you would like to happen. Uh, bonds have emerged as suitable for, for tokenization, a, a use case which is growing in popularity around the world. What does make fixed income instruments more attractive and easier to tokenize than, say, equities? Very good question. Um, for me, it's easier because I know bonds and I don't know shares. Um, to be honest, uh, no. One thing clearly is that uh, bonds, as an instrument, of course, they can be very complex. Um, if you look at certain types of bonds, but you also can have very um, straightforward bonds, bullet bonds, where where you don't have changing coupons, where where everything is defined in a couple of pages on the prospectus. And that's probably the best way to start because you're bringing new technology, and that should be the main focus of the investors that it's something new in technology. There should be no questions around the asset itself. And that's why we started uh, also with bonds and with, with plain vanilla bonds. Um, equities, we also have an equity offering. Um, it is possible to tokenize shares. We're, we're ready for that. We have the license for it. Um, obviously, there's a bit more complexity if you have the full share, share registry behind it, which needs to be updated. So there's more complexity which comes with, with shares. Doesn't mean that there are no complex bonds out there, but it's not where we start. We start with plain Monilo because we think that's that's re, that's helps the investors, that helps the market participants to actually uh, get familiar with digital assets. So you've done fixed income, you're looking at equity. Are you looking at other asset classes? I'm thinking here of real estate, commodities, privately managed assets in equity and debt form, but, but maybe private equity, private uh, private debt funds, maybe even funds generally, mutual funds even. Are, are these asset classes you're looking at as well? 
Absolutely. Um, we currently have uh, the license for equities and bonds. Um, and we are in discussion, and always were in discussions also with providers or market participants of other, other assets. Um, naturally, everything which is already today um, possible to, to deposit at the CSD and to trade on the exchange is near and it's probably easier also to tokenize, but we don't want to stop there. Um, especially art, for example, especially uh, real estate, that's very much of interest. Um, and also NFTs, that's something we're discussing on crypto, something we're discussing. Um, doesn't mean we're yet there. Uh, and it doesn't make sense for us to start with something that the market doesn't want. So if we start it, um, we need to make sure that we have the market participants ready, that, uh, that we all agree on the right way forward, that we actually can start with volume um, and, and help the market reward it that way. So yes, we are absolutely discussing uh, various other uh, asset classes, potential asset classes in the future, which might not be bankable today, um, but it's not yet defined what will come next. You, you've raised ESG issues, if I might use that uh, blanket term at a number of points in this conversation. Now, the question of green bonds is, is often brought up. Are green bonds particularly well suited to being digitized or or tokenized? Is this a market you're looking at? Yes, yes. Um, green bonds or ESG bonds in general, very dear to my heart. Um, as an infrastructure provider, we always think about where we can add value because it is such a huge um, market at the moment with many players and all have their role. And, and it makes sense to have their roles uh, well, actually specialized roles distribute uh, over the value chain. Um, where we think that especially technology can help uh, is when it comes to reporting um, for issuers. Uh, we might think of in the future, um, for example, allowing data tokens tracking CO2 output, for example, of a green bond data tokens to be included into the asset code, uh, into the asset token, so that actually the asset will track the development of the investments of the company which was funded through that bond. Um, and if you think further, we could even say we build in a smart contract which then will raise or lower the interest rate or the, the coupon of the bond depending on, on the CO2 output. So there are a lot of possibilities out there, um, reporting-wise, but also when it comes to smart contracts, which would help um, the green bond or the ESG bond market. Mm -hmm. We're also looking at, uh, at international expansion. As I understand, um, STX is working with, with SBI Digital Asset in, in Singapore to create an exchange for tokenized or digital assets in Singapore, and it'll open in later this year. How is that relationship going to work? Are you, I don't know, supplying technology or, or expertise? Uh, and what's the, what's the synergies with what you're doing um, in Zurich? Very good question. Very good question. Um, we, we see a lot of interest um, from, uh, from Asia, and uh, that's, that's why we decided to, to, to actually uh, have that joint venture. Um, and we are positive. There are a lot of discussions on, on what part of the technology can be used, uh, if we can connect the clients, um, the investors on both sides, if, where, where we actually can cooperate, that, that it makes it easier for the whole market to tap um, Swiss and Asian digital securities. Um, we, we see that potential, um, 
but unfortunately it's it's too early to um to talk about details today unfortunately but um uh, there will be press releases there will be more details uh, coming up well one reason i asked you that question it seems to me that singapore could be quite a, a crowded market to to operate a token exchange in you've got uh, adex operating there already you've got uh, dbs um who, who are exploring the the idea as well um Clearly, you see Asia as, as likely to take off quite quickly in terms of hosting uh, tokenized issues and investors. Is that the, the high level logic here? It doesn't matter how crowded the market is, there'll be lots of business to be done. Uh, that's, that's it, right? And, and the market, absolutely, I agree. The, the market looks crowded, but in the end, there's also uh, various ways how you can approach digital assets. You can approach them via processes when it comes to the distribution you can approach it uh, by digitizing the securities uh, you can approach it more from a crypto angle so i think um, it is crowded but still i think there's place uh, for for various specialists um, very specialized platforms um, and potentially even for uh, collaborations so um, I'm, I'm positive that with the background we have from a more regulated from a more securities-oriented um, market or platform, uh, we can contribute a lot to that uh, joint venture. One last question for you, Stefan, slightly off-the-wall question. Yeah, there are lots of people out there, lots of institutions out there who hold, uh, hold cryptocurrencies, and I'm sure they would be uh, very interested uh, if issuers like, uh, like your own group uh, started issuing bonds denominated in, in cryptocurrency. But do you, do you think it makes sense for issuers to even consider issuing a bond denominated in a cryptocurrency? It, this is a very interesting idea, um, I have to admit. And, and it would naturally be a fit for, um, for SDX and our services, uh, given, given we're in the digital space and given we're also um, uh, building services in the, in the crypto market. Um, I have not yet seen clear interest of potential issuers, um, but it's an interesting thought. Um, and it, it might not yet be the right way probably for, for traditional issuers calculating uh, in Swiss francs and uh, mm -hmm. euros or for US dollars, because that, that might from a balance sheet perspective a bit of be yeah. They're strange challenging. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but th there are a lot of companies out there who are thinking forward to actually dedicate themselves to, to, uh, to crypto. There's also cur countries currently uh, um, promoting, especially Bitcoin. So um, why not? I mean, uh, I'll, I'll be more than happy to actually analyze this group uh, with the potential issue and see where we, where we can go. Mm -hmm. And when you've done some thinking, I look forward to talking to you again about it. But for now, Stefan Bossart, thanks very much for taking time to talk to us. Thank you very much.